In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Good evening. We are so glad to have all our viewers with us this evening. Um, And if you read what was coming up, you know that there were intended to be four of us. And I just want you to know I am so pleased to have Jill with me tonight. (laughs) Um, The way it turned out was that Sandy was going to be with us. She's been on the program before, but she suffered a fall. Uh, last week and is still having headaches from that. So she's not able to be with us. And Nikki was going to be with us, but her mother-in-law has been in the hospital this week and she's with them and with the family and all. So uh, we know and are so sorry that they're not able to be with us. And we um, encourage you and and ask you please to pray for Sandy and for Nikki, uh, that they may be healed and that their loved ones may be healed as well. So, and we appreciate those prayers uh, for them. But I, again, I'm so glad Jill is with us. And Jill has been with us before on many occasions. And in fact, I'm thrilled to say that I twisted her arm a little bit and Jill has agreed to, on a regular basis, be with us. Uh, Cindy and I both know you to be a wonderful Bible student. And uh, just she's very quick on her feet in terms of the the thinking of of a great response. And we just appreciate that so much. So welcome, Jill. You're just one of us now. Oh, thank you. I hope I can live up to all that. I appreciate it. Uh, But I do enjoy discussing these things that ideas that we get when we search the scriptures and uh, look to see what God wants of us. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, tonight we're going to talk about some more Bible examples of compassion. We found last week, and of course the ladies weren't here that were on, I mean, last time that we did this, that we had so many more we didn't get to talk about. So we wanted to uh, bring to mind and talk with you about some more of the Bible examples of compassion, because as much as we can talk about contemporary examples, how one person was compassionate for another, the Bible examples are the ones that God wants us to know. And so they are very important. Um, Jill, do you have one you'd like to talk about, first of all? Uh, Yes, yes. Um, I, I think maybe it's been a couple of weeks since we did it. I think I still have my definition here that we said. Oh, good. Um. Uh, in the dictionary, sympathy, sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings of others with the desire to help alleviate the suffering. So, uh, And we know that this is what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, if talk about um, the suffering that we 
are fit for without Christ's intercession is uh, beyond anything we can imagine here on the earth, I believe. Um, but uh, we have a lot of examples of how that can look here and now, and that helps us appreciate what God does for us so much more when we can see it in action. Um, I was thinking about the book of Philemon. Uh, if you haven't read it in a while, it's a very, very short book uh, in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's letters. And it's only 25 verses long. So it's an easy read, although you'll want to reread it, uh, you know, stop and think, go back. It's, it's kind of a deep letter to think about when you really understand the situation that's going on there. Um, Paul is in prison. He refers to himself in this epistle as aged or old. Uh, he's in prison in Rome. Uh, not that he doesn't have anyone around him. If you look when he signs the uh, end of the letter, he has Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke and my fellow laborers, he has around him a great body of believers who support him in uh, the things that he's doing, even though he's doing it from uh, not a prison cell, but I believe he was imprisoned in a house in Rome. But um, he's writing to Philemon, who was probably a wealthy man. He was a member of the church. And he was a slave owner, uh, which is, is a horrid thought to us, especially in America, that uh, when we think of slaves, we think of the horrible things that happened to the black people who were captured and brought over here and sold that way. But when you think of slaves in the New Testament, it's a little bit more like we experience when we sign a contract to work for someone in a job, uh, sort of in between, but usually the person is consenting to this uh, situation where they work for another person. Uh, although, you know, many, once you had a slave that you owned, then when they had offspring, they became your property as well. So uh, Onesimus was the slave. And in Paul's letter, he is appealing to Philemon to heal this relationship that's been broken. Onesimus has run off. We're not sure exactly why in the context of the letter. But, you know, this is something you want to read for yourself and, and go through and get the little nuggets of information out of there. But um, Paul is writing to help put this compassion in Philemon's heart so that he will forgive and heal this relationship. Philemon has the power as a slave owner legally to probably, I don't know what under Roman law, but he has the power to do some harsh things, to have a harsh reaction. And Paul is appealing to him to have a sympathetic, compassionate, uh, attitude toward him to 
to see him as a true brother in Christ, to see him as an, and this is hard for this mindset of a, of a society where there are ranks of society to see a lowly person equal to a high social person. So I don't know if I'd explain that just right, but you can, you can imagine. Um, but the language that Paul uses when he's appealing to, in fact, he says this, I appeal to you, you know, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. This would make it appear that Onesimus was converted to Christianity uh, in, uh, due to Paul's teaching. And probably due to this loving attitude that Paul is showing. Um, and he's encouraging Philemon to take him back and to treat him as a brother. And uh, I don't know, I probably are somewhat familiar with that story too. Is there anything that strikes you about the situation? As far it, it seems to me Paul really showed compassion toward Onesimus when he came there as a runaway slave um, and that he taught him the gospel and now he is sending him back with this letter and again showing compassion to him because Onesimus can never really be at peace unless he makes peace with Philemon, you know, unless he goes back and and makes that relationship right and, and takes himself back to Philemon. It's, as you said, slavery uh, in any context is, is very unpleasant for us to think about. Um, and we don't want to seem to be suggesting that it was a good thing for anybody. It just was a thing. You know, it just, it was, that's the society. And in the um, context of that society, this is what happened. And I think that, you know, we have to, when someone is, to me, the lesson is when somebody's in trouble and when they have made some decisions like Onesimus running away uh, that are, they'll never, they need peace with it, you know, that we can show compassion to them, not by hiding them or telling them, don't worry about it, just you don't even need to make that right or anything, but rather to say, let me help you make this right. Let me do what I can so that you can have that right relationship. And especially here with an, a brother in Christ, uh, which Philemon and Onesimus and Paul all were now. And, and there's several relationships that he talks about, you know, his relationship with Mark and Luke and, and the other brethren that were there, their relationship with Onesimus. I mean, he's been there working, learning, um, and and Paul would love to have him keep working there with him, but he's not going to force this on Philemon. Say, we don't know the end of the story. We never know what Philemon dis finally decides to do, whether he releases Onesimus from the slavery and sends him back to Paul or whether he accepts him back into his household and has a cordial, warm relationship with him as his boss. We don't know, but um, we know what Paul is appealing for him to do. And uh, we can imagine ourselves in 
either situation, how would we want to be treated in that situation? Right. And, uh, you know, and then perhaps make some parallels to some relationships that we have. Right. Uh, I especially think of if you're a working person or, you know, a boss or a laborer for someone else, uh, you can really see what kind of attitude and, and compassion is going to be at the root of it. Uh, as a worker, you want to work for your employer so that, you know, their business thrives and that their reputation is good in the town and, and you can contribute to that mm -hmm. as a an employer, you, you want to think of your employees or the people you manage or under you, um, that their work is not burdensome or unpleasant to do, that, that you know, you support them in the things you ask them to do. So um, compassion just underlies that. You can put yourself in the other person's mm -hmm. shoes and, and do what you can to be helpful. Very good. I think that's you know, there are so many different lessons that we can draw from that story in that book. I, I think how many uh, congregations in that day there must have been with slaves and masters, whether it was the two of them were slave and master to each other, but just one group of slaves, one group of masters. And, uh, and they're, you know, they would have taken, should have taken from this book uh, this less this letter rather that they needed to have compassion uh, to one another because how difficult sometimes we think we don't need to have compassion on somebody who's better off than we are but sometimes it's even harder to be better off because you're trying to be fair and you're trying not to 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 be as well off as you are I mean you know to appear and that can be really difficult too in a different kind of way, especially among Christians. So um, I think we really, you know, there's so many lessons we can get about compassion from this story. The, the story I was thinking of as well, and it's just a few verses really, but how Jesus cared for his mother at, as he was on the cross, as he was hanging on the cross. And of course, naturally my uh, scribe dies here when I need the verse. Um, John chapter 19, just verses 26 and 27, where uh, in this passage then that uh, Jesus is there. Uh, he's obviously uh, at the last toward the end of his time. And he sees that uh, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and uh and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And I think about Mary, all her life, she knew there was something. Uh, you know, she, she knew that he was special, obviously, from his conception uh, and then at his birth. And and when the wise men came later on with the gifts and, and and all of these things that happened. And then as he began to do miracles and teaching um, and she knew this day, even in prophecy, she could see how that 
way back, they said a sword will pierce your own heart too. Um, and, and here all this was happening and here Jesus had such compassion, even as he was dying. And these were uh, toward the end, I mean, right at the end uh, and all the suffering that he must have been going through. And yet he had compassion for his mother, even though there were other brothers, uh, you know, that of his, he knew that John, which we uh, presume to be understand to be the disciple whom Jesus loved, that he would take the best care of her. And so he said, here's your mother, here's your son. Um, and I just, that's just such compassion for the, the, the grieving parent, I think, or the, the, the one who's going to be left. And we do, again, to me, I take the lesson that uh, when you're sick, when you're dying, when you're, you know, and, and, and that happens to us from time to time, we need to continue to show that compassion and uh, put it ahead, I guess, for those that will be left behind, those that, that will grieve us. Uh, and uh, that, you know, we, we can try to, you know, help that make that softer, make that easier for them to know that we're thinking about them. Kind of morbid, I guess, but, you know, <laughs> I just um, I just love how Jesus took care of and, and spoke about uh, Mary uh, and spoke to her and took care of her at that time. So uh, think of John's compassion, too. You know, he loved Jesus and Mary was pretty much there when they were going around. Um, um they may already have had a close relationship together, John and Mary, just from the fact that they both love Jesus very much. Um, we have a, a comment from one of our viewers uh, that's known to us, Ruby Hagwood, a good friend of both of us. Uh, she says, Rahab and the two spies in Jericho. Rahab had compassion on those spies, took care of them and protected them. Um, you know, Rahab, and I, 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 when I did a deeper study of Rahab, it hadn't occurred to me that Rahab stepped out in faith, as we say. She took that action first before making the arrangement for salvation uh, from, with, from the spies. Um, but she really had compassion on these men. She saw that they had um, come out, you know, and they, they came to her house and, and then the king said, there's men here, you know, that are spying the land. And she took them and hid them. And uh, she said, I've heard about your God. I know y'all are coming for us. And, and um, so she, she showed her faith in God and her compassion for these men who were hiding, you know, in a, a foreign country. That's a very good observation. Thank you, Ruby. Yeah, yeah. And I think that points back to something we, I think we discussed the last time I was on the program is being aware of things that are going on around you so that you're taking advantage of these opportunities oh. when you have an opportunity to show compassion to someone else. And we know that the Lord's going to recognize that because he said that uh, if you give a cold water to one of these little ones, then you've given it to me. Mm -hmm. And um, and we have to think of it that way, you know, 
Right. It's not whether that person is deserving, but we're doing it in service to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I need to think about that more. I know that's that's an area where I can grow. Yeah, yeah. I think I have the tendency to think, well, do they deserve this? Are they should they, you know, is 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 this, but that's not it. It's do I serve the Lord by showing compassion? That's a really good point. Uh somebody else? Uh Jill, do you have another example? Um well, we were going to talk uh, last week, I think, about uh, Ruth and Naomi, and we didn't really get to that story. I, I hope all our listeners are familiar with that story of uh, Naomi traveling into a distant land with her husband, and while they were there, her sons took wives, and it ended that all of the husbands died, That her husband and her two sons, and... Uh, the two daughters-in-law apparently loved her very much. Mm-hmm. There was uh, Orpa and Ruth. Am I right about that? Orpa. Yeah. Yeah. I always want to call her Oprah, but it's really Orpa. So. Orpa. Yeah. Um, and she, she had compassion on them. They were obviously younger than her. The age of her sons are younger. And uh, so she was releasing them from their obligation to do anything for her. She didn't want to take them back out of their own homeland and force them to come with her to a foreign land for them uh, when she was going to go back to Israel. So, um, or Judah. So one took advantage of the offer to release them. That was Orpah. She went back to her people, but Ruth took compassion on Naomi. Uh, Of course, love was the basis for that. Uh, She was apparently a lovely woman. And uh, so when they got back, uh, then Boaz comes into the picture because he's a relative, close relative of the husband. He has a right under the law. And technically there's a responsibility that the next kin, since Ruth had had no children, to take her for a wife so that she could have children and carry on the name of her husband. And, uh, but it, it, the, the next in line wasn't Boaz. But through Ruth's beautiful way that, uh, that she acted, comported herself, her modesty and her hard work ethic, uh, he took compassion on her and uh, bought the right from the uh, other heir to take oh. her for his wife. And they're in the lineage of Christ. Uh, but so. Yeah. You know, it seems like to me that that the basis and you've mentioned it kind of in passing a couple of times. The basis of compassion is love that we're we're showing love towards someone who is suffering in some way. I think that was your definition, wasn't it? We're trying to help relieve that suffering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in that day and time for Ruth and Naomi, they they really didn't have anything to 
subsist on. She was going and gathering the gleanings out of Boaz's field just so they would have food to eat. So, um, yeah. So that you know that was uh, I mean it was a real leap of faith for uh, Ruth to leave her home. She could have gone back to her parents' home and eventually married again. You know and um, and just let Naomi do the best she could, but. You know, she really had compassion and love for Naomi because of her love for God, because of her faith in, in God. So that was a really good thing. Another one that I thought about was Pharaoh's daughter, who had compassion on the baby Moses uh, that uh, in Exodus chapter two, um, you know, that um, Jacobet had put the baby Moses in uh, an ark that she had made and put him in the river. When I was a child, they didn't tell you about all the crocodiles and the snakes. <laughs> you know, it was just, he was just floating, you know. But as I got older, I realized, you know, I'm sorry. But in, in a pretty little basket, they had to think. Yeah, that. it was always a pretty, pretty little basket, you know. Probably more like the ark because it would have to be sealed watertight. Right, right. So, but, um, uh, I mean, God was taking care of him because the crocodiles didn't get him. Um, and then when Pharaoh's daughter saw him, uh, she had compassion on him. She took pity uh, on him. That, that one version says she felt sorry for him. Uh, here's this pretty little baby. And she thought, but she knew he was uh, a Jew that, uh, of course, they didn't call him Jews back then. I don't think she knew he was one of the Hebrew children. And uh, but then she, she felt sorry for him and rescued him, had him to pull him out and then uh, made arrangement for his own mother to be the nursemaid for him. But um, when, you know, her compassion for him and her affection for him continued because after he was weaned, uh, probably more than a year or so later, she took him into her household as her son. Um, and all of that, you know, made, that was the whole story. I mean, that's where it all started was from her compassion for Moses. Uh, and um, I just, I think about that, that um, sometimes when children are crying, it's hard to have compassion, you know, it's just like, hush, but, you know, but we, you know, they're, they're crying because they have a need. So we have to, you know, keep up with some, you know, have those good thoughts and have compassion. So, And, you know, she did that despite any political or racial factors that would have been involved there, too. That that amazes me a little bit because mm -hmm. she couldn't be completely unaware of what was going on with the attitude of the ruling Pharaoh toward this uh the Hebrew nation was just getting so big. He was actually afraid of them, her father, you know. So. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That was very bold on her part to show that compassion. It was. And and that's, you know, that's a good point for us. Sometimes it requires some boldness on our part to show compassion for someone who is less liked or appreciated in our society. Uh, and but we have to do what God wants us to do to show love toward others, to show compassion uh, toward those that need it, whether it seems the popular or the political thing to do or not. 
Um, and political doesn't always fall into government. There, you know, we always said in education, Jill and I are both teachers, education was more political than politics. Uh, uh, you may have heard that too. There was always that jockeying for position. But, um, uh, you know, we, a lot of times, maybe it's not the thing that's going to help us to get ahead in life or in society, but it's the right thing to do to help someone who is less fortunate, who needs our compassion. Um, got another one, Jill, for us? Well, we were thinking about Joseph and his brothers. Um, you know, Joseph was put in a bad situation many, many, many times, but he kept his eye on the ball. He kept his heart with God. And uh, whether he was elevated or downtrodden, his attitude toward God remained constant. I think that helped him show compassion, uh, especially you have to think about his brothers, who is a young boy. Well, not that young. I don't probably a teenager. Yeah, I was going to say he, he was young, but they were older because he was one of the younger, wasn't he? Right, right. Well, some wanted to kill him and uh, and others out of compassion for him uh, instead uh, sold him to the traders that were coming along their way uh, who took him down into Egypt. Uh, at the very end of the story, though, when the, when he was reunited with the brothers who were brought into the land because of the famine, uh, he was so forgiving mm -hmm. of those brothers. He, he didn't just forgive them. He made a place for them. He provided for them. He, he had a powerful position at that point, and he was able to do things for them. He didn't bear animosity, which he easily could have done. He could have carried that grudge all his life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he didn't ever let that hold him back from seeing the real true picture, mm -hmm. being alert to opportunities, mm -hmm. even when he was imprisoned, being falsely accused. Right. Um, he's a wonderful example of a, of a man showing compassion. One of my favorite verses is there in Genesis 50 and verse 20, when they come to him and say, you know, you know, dad said, you need to be good to us. You know, you know don't don't kill us. Because again, he could easily, here he was second in command. He could have said, you guys messed me up. I'm going to get you. But he said to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to save all of this family. You know, I mean, basically. Um, and I just think that that's just one of my favorite verses. It helps me sometimes when, I feel like, well, I've been wronged, but, right. you know, maybe you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Uh, that's beside the point. Sorry, that's all outside of the point. But, you know, he did have such compassion on them, as you say. When he first recognized them, he could easily have just said, hmm, I know those people, <laughs> you know. I disagree with you because I do not think that's outside the point at all. I think it is part of the point, you know. We show compassion to one another. We don't we don't have the power to punish somebody for something wrong they've done. It's not our job. Um, and when we act compassionately, we may be putting them in a position to do great good 
at some point in time. So we don't we don't know. That's true. That's very true. Well, Ruby sent us another person, and and we love Ruby, so we don't we have to show it. So hi, Ruby. Um, Hannah, when she was praying for a child, and we know that story in First Samuel. God had compassion on her and gave her the child, Samuel. Uh, she kept her, Hannah kept her promise to God, and she gave Samuel back to God to be a priest and to serve God. And the compassion that God had on, on Hannah and that uh, Eli had on Hannah, too, when he saw that uh, at first he thought she was drunk, but when he, he understood from her that she was praying, then he said, uh, you know, I mean, he through the spirit, you can go home. Your request will be uh, done for you because God was showing compassion on her. Uh, there's so often, so many times that we just dearly want something that uh, and that may be good and may not be good in the long run for us, but God always knows and. Uh, uh, Hannah just prayed so hard and was so wonderful that God had compassion on her. But that does bring up the important part that God does want us to ask it of him. He mm. wants to hear from his children. Right. He wants us to come to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Very important. You know, I don't think we can ever stress too much. The, the need that we have for prayer, that we need to go to God, that we need to talk with him, not just to ask for this and ask for that, but to let him know, to even though we know he knows our heart, but to say to him what we uh, would like to have, what we need, what we want. Um, and God knows it. And according to his plan, he will do that for us. Uh, and but we can't know what's in his plan and uh, until it happens, until it unfolds. So prayer is very important. Prayer is how we talk to God, the Bible, uh, and is how we God talks to us. So we need to remember that. And, and here's a really off-the-wall thought I've had. You tell me if I'm wrong. But, you know, why did God make man in the first place? He wants us to come and be with him. Mm -hmm. He wants our fellowship. And, you know, in a way, it, it hurts my heart when I see people behaving so badly on purpose. And this is not what God wants for man. Um, I think Ben Franklin said the, something to the effect. I, I've been reading his autobiography again. These rules are not given to us so we can check off a checklist you know and, and and but they're they're guidelines so that we can do what's best for us mm -hmm. he's given us these guidelines how to live your life it's not to hurt us and catch us in sin it's so we can know what to do so that we can go and be with him yeah yeah and, I, uh, yeah i mean he he made he created the earth. He created man. He put them him in a wonderful place, man and woman, because he wanted to be with them. He wanted them to be with him. Uh, but, you know, sin entered the world. And now we have the opportunity, though, because God made a plan before all of that so that we could 
continued, we could be with him uh, as spirits. And to me, it's kind of showing compassion back toward God. Ooh. You know, Jesus wept when he rode into the city of Jerusalem. And how many times had he tried to encourage them, to convince them, to command them, you know, through the prophets and, and the scriptures of old to come back to God and to do just do what God wants you to do. But they wouldn't do it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And that makes them sad. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good thought. And I um, I was reading some in, in, along those same lines that God has always wanted for us to be with him as spirits. And obviously that would, in a spiritual sense. And he makes it easy in a way. To me, he makes it easy for us. I don't think, some people think it's so hard to be a Christian and so hard to be pleasing to God, but... It just seems easy to me. Just love him and obey him. He's made it very clear what we need to do to obey him. And just read his word, read the Bible, uh, and just, just look at it. So often we look at the Bible in the with all that we already think we know about God. And we just need to read the Bible fresh, I guess you would say. And, and just look at what God asks of you and wants you to do. It's really, it's really simple, but it's, God wants us to be with him. He's not trying, like you said, he's not trying to catch us up in something so that we can't be saved, but rather he's looking for a way for us to be saved. And all we have to do is just be righteous and do what he says for us to do. So easy, so easy. Um, we, our time is coming to a close tonight. We've been talking and we, we didn't even get to others that we would love. I would love to have talked. We didn't talk about, we did we talk some about Dorcas next week, last week, last time? Last time we mentioned her. Mentioned her. What compassion that she had on the, the widows uh, that were around her and showed that compassion in a physical sense by sewing for them. Um, and Peter, when she died, I mean, what compassion he had to to come with those disciples back to raise her from the dead. Uh, I mean, it was just, um, and it was just, uh, just a wonderful amount of the compassion that they had on those others, the widows there, that the men went to get him. It's just wonderful about that. I think of the widow of Nain, whose uh, only son had died, and she had no husband and this only son had died and Jesus had compassion on her, it says, and raised her, raised the son rather, her son from the dead. And I, I think about how, you know, it had to have entered his mind that his mother was going to be in this situation uh, when he died. Uh, and so it, it just is wonderful. So many, so many more. And I hope you all will, as you're, uh, reading in your Bible and as you're thinking about compassion and how to show and when to show compassion that you'll think of some more examples as well. Next week, we're going to be talking about our joy, communication. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about how, how we can communicate with one another, what are the, uh, the right and the wrong ways and, and what are the 
the in judgment. There's a lot of judgment, I think. Don't you think involved with communicating with others? And, uh, and of course, so like I said, we're really looking forward to Jill being with us on a regular basis. Um, and I think that's going to be great. So I uh, wanted to also bring to mind that uh, and next Thursday, we will talk some about our first Friday fast that we've started each first Friday of the month. And of course, that'll come the next day after next week's program. Um, and that fast, we're in, as we fast that day, we're going to be thinking and praying about national repentance, uh, that uh, the repentance that we all need to make and to think about our country, our rulers, as God has told us to pray for our rulers uh, and those in that have some power, maybe whether it's social power or political power, economic power, that are not following God's word and that we want to encourage and pray uh, for God to help put something in their way that will help them to come to a repentance. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that next week as well. Uh, and so we ask you to continue, if you will, to pray for Nikki's mother-in-law and for Sandy uh, as well, because we're really sad they weren't with us tonight. We, we love them and we miss them. So, uh, and Cindy's not with us because she's working on her writing because I told her not to worry, we have so many coming. But I'm so glad Jill was here to my rescue. So, <laughs> but so we will say good night. Anything else you wanted to say, Jill, before we leave? No, I appreciate this opportunity. And uh, if if you find I said something that's not true or not, let me know next time or put it in the comments. Yeah, we always encourage your comments. And Ruby, thank you so much, and the others who commented, we appreciate them as well. So we hope you all have a good week and Jill, good night. Good night, everybody.